Welcome back to Recipe to the Road episode 5. I'm so excited to release this episode. It's, yeah, it. I just loved doing this interview so much. I'm interviewing my friend Connor, who I knew in Vancouver, about his experience hitchhiking around the world. This man has stories for days. I've never heard him tell the same story twice. Even if I ask him to tell the same story again, he'll he'll tell something a bit different because he just has so many stories. So not to hype up the episode too much, but it's gonna be a good one. So I hope you enjoy. Let me know what you think on Instagram at recipe to the road or by email recipe to the road at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. So I guess we start with what is the most interesting place you have traveled to? Um, so, well, thank you for the question. Firstly, Maria, thank you. Um, I do find when people typically ask what is the best place you've been to, um, that question can be, it, it changes because everybody's experience pretty much determines their opinion of a place they go to. Um, but I suppose specifically with my type of traveling and hitchhiking, that gives you a certain type of perspective of traveling. Initially, when I had planned to, to kind of take several months off whatever I was doing, or you know, I had a couple of months break from university, when I originally started hitchhiking, it was, I didn't necessarily have a lot of money at the time, so I just wanted to go off on a trip. And then by doing that, I figured that it's actually a very interesting way to travel by hitchhiking. So versus, you know, having money and being able to stay in hostels or hotels um, or, you know, getting a bus wherever else, um, it kind of brings about its own kind of type of traveling. So with that being said, I would typically have said that hitchhiking is somewhat of an asshole filter, essentially, because all the people who are assholes won't pick you up. So you're typically only getting picked up by nice people who want to actually help you. So along the journey, you're, you know, you're getting to meet nice people and that in itself provides its own type of experience. So with regards to specific places or that was, what was the word you used in your question? The, the, the most interesting place you've the, traveled to? The most interesting, um, difficult question to answer because I suppose with regards to hitchhiking, you could probably write a whole book on the culture of hitchhiking in each different country. Um, you know, there's different hand gestures that are going to get you rides in different places. Um, you know, there's there's just different religions that come into play. But I suppose some places that would be interesting is like when you land into somewhere like Iran, which typically has... Um, I suppose a, a negative perspective globally based off you know historically the pressure they've been put under as a nation but um, when you're hitchhiking there it's you're so used to sticking your your thumb out and just standing on the side of the road but that doesn't really work in Iran what you need to do is actually put your hand out and start waving cars down as if you're like telling them to stop right now to catch a ride oh. um, and that's very normal but it's also difficult because you have to try to tell them that you don't have any money and you're not trying to pay for a ride because it's so common there to hitchhike. Um, it's like everybody does it. I think when when I was there, it came out something like seven or eight cents per liter of fuel. So basically everyone drives. 
um, and then also everyone's fine to pick up other people so you can catch a ride anywhere essentially but to kind of split between the ones you want to pay for and the ones you don't um, was always uh, challenging but it was a definitely a very interesting country because you know you're kind of coming into the country with that type of ambiguity I suppose based off what's mediated in in the world um, which isn't necessarily true you know you land in there and then you discover that as in as a people they're quite well westernized probably more westernized than a lot of european countries historically but ever since the revolution in 1979 and then the over change of the monarch into the islamic republic it's kind of put this whole persona around the people but historically they're super well educated almost everyone you meet is like doctors or friends of doctors and things like that but um one thing i noticed was that they will speak to you they'll, the the people will tell you it's like we're really good liars and you're kind of like what, what does this mean it's like oh because we have to pretend that we abide by all these rules of the islamic republic and everything else which they don't necessarily believe but there's consequences if if, if they don't so that type of thing is, is interesting but for someone hitchhiking and um while i was traveling i was specifically not trying to pay for accommodation at the time so i was always trying to find a place to stay as well um so typically when I was getting a lift it was super easy to hitchhike in around firstly and then the people you meet are super accommodating but one of the applications i was using or apps was uh, couch surfing which i'm sure you're familiar with um so i'd have my profile and then i remember i caught a ride with um a young guy probably i'm guessing he was about 27 years of age and his mother um was in the passenger seat uh, so i got into the back um back seat and they were driving towards Tehran, the capital, and I think there was about five hours ahead of us, so they were gonna bring me all the way to the capital, which was great because I was trying to get there. But essentially, they were driving there because her husband, his father, um, had to move out of Tehran because the smog was so bad and he was having like uh, lung oh. issues. So he actually had to move to a city that was seven hours away from Tehran and they would do make this journey twice a week. And that's because the petroleum's such a low price. There's so much smog in the air. Everyone's dri uh, driving and the quality of air is just very much polluted in the capital city, which, which is quite visible when you get there. But anyhow, he brought me to uh, the city and I ended up staying for a couple of nights in the son's apartment. And then he had other obligations later on. So I was trying to find other accommodation through couchsurfing. And as soon as you put up a request, there's always people writing. He's like, yes, you can stay in my place. Yes, you can stay in my place. So I That's stayed amazing. in, yeah, I spent around, I think it was around a month in Tehran and um, what I discovered was I was chatting to some people about like their couchsurfing profiles and what was funny was some people who were like had hosted you know maybe a hundred people or 200 people on couchsurfing were actually contacted by a group that established themselves as the government or you know a, a governed form of the Islamic state and said that you need to stop hosting people on couchsurfing um, or you will be um arrested and lashed essentially so that oh scared gosh. a lot of people but it turned out what was actually happening was because the people of iran are so hospitable and love to host people it was actually taking business away from the hotels and a group of hotel managers grouped up and made some online um 
persona of sorts to, to basically oh, pretend to be the government that we're going to arrest these people and lash them because they're so hospitable that they took business away from the hotels just by hosting so many couch surfers. Um, so funny. So it's kind of scary for them, but funny in hindsight. <laughs> yeah, it was hilarious. Um, but yeah, in- interesting place. Sounds it, yeah. Um, so you mentioned there like that you, it was during college, was that when you kind of started hitchhiking or is that kind of how you got into using hitchhiking as your, your method of traveling? I suppose, um, it was one of one of the times I kind of started hitchhiking internationally, um, but I started hitchhiking probably when I was quite young. I'd say maybe fourteen years of age in Ireland, and my parents pretty much trusted me to go off and do what I wanted to do because I would, you know, never come home with a black eye or anything like that. So as long as I wasn't doing anything too bad, they kind of gave me that level of freedom which I always respected. Um, So typically I would have like hitched back and forth around Ireland or up and down the country uh, from a pretty young age. Um, I remember one of the first times I ever hitched from um, a little village on the west coast called Mullockmore in County Sligo, and beautiful place, definitely recommend. But I remember I must have only been around yeah, like 14 or 15 at the time and Oxygen Festival, if you remember that yes, back yes. in the day, it was I think it was the biggest festival in Europe at the time. Um, you know, I remember it was, like, was it 2004, 2006, they had the Red Hot Chili Peppers, The Who, James Brown, um, you know, pretty, pretty epic line of Daft Punk, I think we're playing that year as well. But um, I missed that year and I was raging, but I think it was like my parents said I was too young to go that year. but. I think it was the following year, the year after, but I was in Mullockmore in County Sligo and then I got a phone call of some people that I, you know, I knew from, I think they were from County Tyrone and they were saying, oh, where are you? We're in the blue campsite. Uh, and I was like, oh, I'm not at Oxygen, damn it. I was like, you know, 14, 15, I have no money or anything like that. So then I was just with my friend and I, um, I, I kind of just said, you know, I might just stick my thumb out here and see if I can get to oxygen. He was complete opposite sides of the country. And he was like, no, don't be silly. But I literally, at that point, I just stuck my thumb out and some car just came up and immediately stopped. So I was like, all right, I'm just going to jump into this car and see where I end up. And he was just taking me to Cliffany, which was like the next village over. And then I like called my mom. Is like, oh, I think I'm going to hitchhike to oxygen. She was like, no, you're not. I was like, no, I am. <laughs> I was like, I'm already have already started, and she was like, you stop now, and I was like, no, it's okay. Um, so I remember from my friend, I asked him, could I have um, one cigarette? Because I literally, I think I had 10, 10 euros in my pocket, and I asked him for one cigarette. You know, at that time I was smoking too much, as I shouldn't be, but whatever. Um, but yeah, so I got into this car, and then I, I got a lift, and I think it was 14 different rides they got me from Mullockmore right to the gates of Punchestown, which was where Oxygen Festival was. And I had a great time along the journey. It's like people would give me like beers and, you know, smokes or whatever else. So I didn't touch anything. Um, in hindsight, I'm thinking I was probably maybe 15 or 16 um, at this point. But um, anyway, I got like across the country and then outside Oxygen. And then I was like, oh, now I have to get into this festival. So. I just remember like walking around and like figuring out how I was going to get inside and 
there was like the big long fences, um, you know, to, to get over or whatever. Um, like so they were there for getting over. <laughs> yeah, for, for not for getting over. But I, I remember there was like a van, like a transit van reversed up. It's because it, it was in the car park. And I was like, oh, I can just definitely climb up on top of the roof of this transit van. And then I'm like, can climb over the fence. So I done that and then dropped down. And it was just like a wide open field. But you could see at the other end of the field, that was like the stage or the arena. So I started like running and as I got closer, I saw like people coming from other sides. I was like, okay, I better start running faster. And eventually I like got there before the people could catch me. And then I had to climb up over this other fence. Fence. Then I was like, turned out I was like backstage behind the main stage of the festival. Of you were. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I, I wasn't trying to stay there because I was trying to like get into the crowd so I could run away. So I, I slipped through and went right into the pit. And I remember I was like standing there and the strokes were playing. So I was like in the pit for the strokes and I was like, sweet. So I just like got into oxygen. Um, and that was like the first kind of long distance, um, I suppose in Ireland trip that I'd done. And then after that, the next day, I just like went up to the ticket booth and said, oh, I lost my pass or whatever. Someone ripped my wristband off and they gave me a fresh one. So I could kind of roam freely then. And you know, had tons of people around there who's gonna take care of you in the festival environment. That's brilliant. So you, you started early setting yourself up to just figure your way out around the world kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Um, I think a couple of years later, um, a friend of mine was living in Edinburgh and um, she mentioned to kind of come over and spend the summer there. So I, I hitched onto a, a truck for the first time with, I still remember his name as a Bul- Bulgarian man named Mario. And he gave me a, a, a lift up through Northern Ireland, up to Belfast and like snuck me onto the ferry, brought me across into Scotland. We had great chats. We ended up having to like sleep in the truck one night because it was like a long drive. Um, and we just had good good chats. I remember we pulled over, he had a bit of whiskey or whatever else, and he used to always like have all this kind of food. And he was like in uh, Bulgaria, we don't we don't um, drink without like eating and stuff. And I remember him kind of t- telling me some stuff um, about, about his country. But I remember him also saying he hadn't seen his wife and kids in over two years because he was driving a truck so much and just sending all the money home to, to them which is a very common story that you you hear you know from truckers as you kind of travel around in general but um yeah i remember that was pretty easy to get get a ride you know cross country then slip across borders which was something that just triggered something and then i suppose as a bit of an image that kind of nurtured in the back of my head over the course of time you know over the following years was as soon as you kind of hit me and land europe you've got you know it's fresh tracks all the way to pacific ocean essentially um yeah actually well, i'd never have thought about it like that but that's pretty, pretty much cool. yeah. yeah yeah as soon as you cross the bosphorus in istanbul you, you you're into asia um so it was always something that kind of was nurturing there in the back of the mind yeah there's all these different routes to to get where you want to go that's amazing um and then so you did your kind of trips around ireland you got to edinburgh and was that then did you decide then to kind of start trying to go international or like how did you decide to do kind of like longer trips then? I remember when was it? Oh yeah, so probably Irish people would be quite familiar with after you finish your leaving certificate, which is your final exams, um, that you go on like a school trip or a school holiday with all the people in your class. 
um, typically for, I was in, at that stage, I was in an all boys school and everybody was planning this trip to Magaloo for a weekend away and that just did not appeal to me whatsoever. They were planning on spending, you know, six, seven hundred bucks on a couple of days weekend in Magaluf. Um, whereas I thought that, you know, with that kind of money, you could use it to, to kind of do a lot more. So I decided not to go on the trip. I think I was the only person in my entire year that didn't go on the oh, trip. Wow. Um, I just didn't really like the sound of it. I tried to encourage some people to skip that and let's go on a trip around Europe for the summer. Um, so I was the only one who decided against it. Um, so I got one of my other friends to come with me. There was actually two friends who came with me. One of them didn't tell his parents and ended up having to go home after a few weeks. But oh um, yeah, me and this other guy just went bouncing around Europe then for a few months, um, which was my first trip around Europe. Um, and then later on during university, um, I got two of my good friends to kind of go on another uh, European road trip just hitchhiking around um i spent a year studying abroad then kind of spent some time around you know the balkans and greece and stuff like that and then after that i'd I'd done another european road trip so i bounced around quite a bit um but this was all kind of during in and around my university days um so it was always still important to me to kind of get that degree and stuff as well and some work experience to kind of bounce in and out of of that kind of aspect of life um which which I'm glad I've done but um definitely yeah yeah essentially I when I started working and things like that I, I always said that let's try and get as much experience as you can in the work environment but but always set yourself up for for a, a trip um which is which is why I kind of took off then um and didn't really know initially I was planning on trying to get down to um Africa and find a broken up seal ship and try to sail across the Atlantic to Mexico but oh my god yeah there's some there's some places you can go um around um like West Africa where there's like ports where there's like abandoned ships and things like that and if they've been there for so long and they're not touched that they can either give them away or just destroy them so you can go there and actually get a boat and spend some time fix it up learn how to sail and things like that and then use it for whatever you like and then I've got some friends who are sailors as well so um it was myself and one of my good friends David who were initially planning on doing that. And at the moment he's actually living on a sailboat and he's got three or four of them at the moment. He's sailing all over the place. Um, but yeah, we ended up just bouncing around Europe cause we had tons of friends around there. And before we knew it, we were, um, you know, along the black sea and then eventually, um, cutting across Istanbul and into Georgia, Armenia, that type of space. And then after a while, I just kind of decided to keep going East and, yeah eventually ended up in china so you mentioned you studied abroad where did you study yeah so i was studying social sciences in slovenia um, which is awesome as part of your degree in ireland yeah the the actual it wasn't necessarily part of the degree but we could choose it as an additional year so it was an erasmus um and i think we had a choice of maybe five or six countries to choose from and I had been to Ljubljana before on that initial trip after leaving school and I remember it being one of my like one of the nicest places I'd been to I really enjoyed it. I remember the sun was shining I remember there was a basketball tournament bang in the city center they just like it's like a really small city Ljubljana and they've just got like what's known as the three bridges that just 
um, encompasses the central area of the city and it's absolutely gorgeous. Um, so just bang in the city center, they have like this, these beautiful uh, churches and just like artistic uh, architecture and beautiful buildings and things like that. But um, yeah, they're just like basketball courts set up bang in the kind of the, I suppose, St. Stephen's Green or the Grafton streets of, of Ljubljana. Oh. And it I've was never just heard like a, of it before. So. Really? Have you yeah, not? No? no, sounds sounds like I might go on the list. Definitely should. Like what's interesting about Slovenia, it's actually like a rainforest. So typically it's a very small country that borders five other countries. So in Ljubljana, you can pretty much hit any other country of those five within the space of two hours. So you're right within the Balkans. Um, with regards to it being part of ex-Yugoslavia, um, when Tito passed and uh, Yugoslavia was breaking apart. Uh, I believe Slovenia only had like 10 days of war and it was basically all the people who didn't want to fight in the war end up moving to Slovenia. Now, of course, like the older male generation would have taken part in the war, but if their families and stuff would have moved to the Republic of uh, Slovenia. So they're a very peaceful nation and you know they've also seen a lot of blood from the war. So super nice people. Um, very well educated, I would say. They, they really take pride in the things they educate themselves in and like try to make a difference in the space of like social and political science and things like that. So very, very interesting people to speak with um, and it's absolutely stunning. And then you've got super photogenic places like Lake Bled that a lot of people would be familiar with. Um, but there's also even more beautiful places around the Kranska Gorda re region, which is up and uh, north along the Austrian border there, which happily recommend to you if you're ever gonna tip out there. but. Also things like that, it's also like super well controlled with regards to the rainforest. And it's like, I believe it's the highest concentration of bears in all of Europe as well. But oh, um, quite a, yeah, I know that sounds scary until you've lived in Canada, so it's not that bad. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's a lot of interesting things about Slovenia. So you mentioned there that you eventually ended up going to China. Would that be the longest hitchhiking trip you've ever taken? Or tell me about that um, yeah, I'm not sure is it the longest trip I've done. I've never, haven't actually mapped out distance wise, but I suppose probably, um, I suppose getting through the, the route I took, um, I, had, I hadn't anything planned, which, you know, comes in, creates its own issues if you're trying to abide by the rules. Um, there's, there's ways around the rules, of course, um, and probably a good recommendation if, um, excuse me, that, for your podcast if you could eventually find in contact with these people but um if you're familiar with hitch wikipedia um it's a wikipedia for hitchhikers essentially so for example you can just google you know um berlin to amsterdam hitch wiki berlin to amsterdam and it would tell you it's an account of all different hitchhikers who have hitched this route brilliant and they will put forward their experiences and what the best route to get in and out of a location is depending on what direction you're trying to go so if you went like Hitchwicky, Berlin, Amsterdam, it will tell you how to get, you know, out of the city of Berlin to go um, west and how to get there for free, essentially, and stand in the perfect place to go hitchhiking. So there's a number of different like hitchhikers that have um, have added information to this Wikipedia, essentially. And when I was on my way to China, I was trying to, to figure out visas um, with some issues and trying to avoid um, certain controlled areas of Pakistan. Um, I ended up having to cross the Caspian Sea into Kazakhstan, but essentially I was emailing this guy, I believe his like handle on Hitchwiki is Dan Geron, I believe it is, but essentially 
his accounts are like super interesting, like far more interesting than my own. Um, is about he's he's in a wheelchair and he's like he he's one of his opening statements is like he thinks he might be the only person in a wheelchair that has hitchhiked around the world multiple times and he's done it like with visas with passports without passports he's like talks about crossing through jungles through burma and you know um just what before before there was a little bit of peace there of the you know recent years but i was like emailing him like asking for some advice as to how to kind of get and through some of these countries that I was looking to get before, because my concern was winter was coming very, very quickly and it was about to get super cold. Um, so I was asking this guy for advice and he kind of just gave me a huge accounts of details. I'd probably still have his email somewhere that I could share with you. But you know, finding certain people like this whose stories are a lot cooler than mine um, would be would be interesting. Um, but yeah, with regards to that, um, I suppose, yeah, I was just trying to fight winter coming at that point. Um, and it's probably is one of the longest distances because i think to cross kazakhstan which is a relatively big country i I needed to go there's very few roads that crosses the country unless from 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 iran essentially unless you're going through you know uzbekistan or turkmenistan which has their own issues with regards to visas essentially so i ended up having to cross the caspian sea and then having to go all the way north as far as siberia and back down again so I think just to get to a southern point in Kazakhstan, I had to do something like four or 5,000 kilometers and, you know, it reached like, you know, minus 40, minus 50 degrees and sleeping in a in a tent that is not built for winter is not that comfortable, but um, <laughs> yeah. But, and um, you were in a tent a lot of the time there, were you? Or were you doing the couch surfing as well? Mm, no, I was completely in the tent um, at, at that stage of the journey. Um, Again, I was trying to beat the total freeze coming in uh, and I was kind of losing a little bit of time. So I was trying to make some distance there and didn't like plan couch surfing or anything. So I'd done some big long days of hitchhiking. Um, I think one of the longest rides I actually ever done was like I think 1100 or 1200 kilometers in one day with, or no, with one guy, sorry. So the longest ride I ever had was I think it was like you know, 10, 11 hours with one guy who was actually transporting people from, um, I think he was coming from Azerbaijan um, across the Caspian Sea into Kazakhstan and all the way up to uh, Siberia and crossing the border into into Russia somewhere there. Um, But I was like sitting in the driver's seat or in the passenger seat with him and I remember he completely fell asleep at one point. It's like, I was cold asleep. So I was actually holding the, the steering wheel for you know literally maybe 10 minutes and i was like trying to wake him up while there was like three other people who he was giving a ride to in the back completely asleep oh my god so that's why i always like to sit in the front seat so you don't fall asleep on the the road yeah it's always good to have an extra set of eyes yeah yeah and why was he um transporting people so i think that was his job um he was like it wasn't like an illegal thing or anything. He okay. was it was kind of like a taxi service, except a long distance taxi service. Um, so he, he he had told me that he had done this route, you know, many times with multiple people, um, and it wasn't like a, a sketchy environment or anything like that. So I think he was just um, giving them a ride across the country, essentially. Okay. Yeah, I know that sounds a wee bit dodge, but 
yeah. <laughs> I guess in Ireland we're just not used to that as an idea because it's so small you just get everywhere so easily whereas like I guess in somewhere that's so vast like probably does make a lot more sense for people who are from around that area yeah 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 I can't recall I think potentially some of them might have been Kazakhs some of them might have been um, Chinese some of them might have been Russian I really can't can't recall yeah. okay and you kind of like mentioned a few times like you know different areas and like you're obviously quite up to date with like the issues going on in different areas like is that something that you are naturally interested in or is it something that you've gotten into because you're traveling to these areas and you need to know this kind of thing um i would say it's a probably a combination of both like there's always so much anyone can learn about any areas but his history and whatever else but um one thing i suppose that i did notice like uh, my ge- geography has obviously improved since i've been traveling Makes i sense. wouldn't have typically known the cities and the landscape of europe and you know the mountain ranges from the alps into kind of deserts and things like that unless i was traveling so that's something that has taken a lot of interest in me and you might have noticed my my globe in the in the apartment back there but you know you can see somewhat of the, how the countries are set up but you don't really get an understanding of the landscape in itself and you know i can picture how you know colors change over time that you know if it turns into rocky or different terrain and things like that which is something that definitely becomes an interest when when you're traveling around that you can kind of visualize more how how different regions um appear and you know climates and things like that but with regards to the states of different cultures and things like that, probably one thing that you discover when you're hitchhiking, which I think is quite beautiful, is what what is typically mediated from around the world. And we talked about Iran before that has a pretty bad reputation globally. And that would be based off, you know, the history from, from the British and the Americans and the whole monarchy and the oil supply and things like that. But what you typically find no matter what the religion is no matter what the culture is no matter what the history is or the the you know the military stance or the military power or whatever else the list can go on and on and on what you actually discover when you're hitchhiking is that people are fundamentally the same it never changes no matter what instance i've been in when it comes down to the ground basics of life and that's sheltering people, feeding people, helping people out. When it comes to the ground basis of how to treat someone, it never ever changes. I've met people who can be an asshole to other people or super nice to other people, but when it comes down to it, typically when you're hitchhiking, I would have my rucksack and it was attached to a skateboard. I never necessarily looked like someone who had money, but yet I was pretty well off compared to a lot of people in the world but that wasn't something that was necessarily showing. So people weren't necessarily trying to steal anything from me because it didn't look like I had a whole lot to be stolen from. So when it comes down to it, people were fundamentally the same all the time. And that's actually something that you can't really tell people in, until you've experienced it. Like I can tell you now and you, you, you'll believe me, but you can't just post an article on, online and say that everybody's the same when it comes down to it because no one's gonna believe you. People are gonna believe the medium and they say, you know, Iran has nukes or South Korea or North Korea has nukes, excuse me. Um, 
you know, all these different types of things, it, it's it's fine. You can scare the crap out of people, but I don't necessarily get too afraid. You, you, you're hearing the stories about um, Russia and the Ukraine right now. And of course, some people have been, you know, psychologically, um, you know, pushed one way or another, but that's going to make them, you know, more effective in war essentially. But you're also hearing stories of 17 year olds representing the Russian military who are not really sure why they're as part of this war and they're pulling out of these tanks and leaving them behind and running. And you see the Ukrainian people handing over their phones so the Russian military soldier can call his family back at home. That's a perfect example of what people are actually like. No matter what the opinion is around the world, unless you're there and it comes down to the things you need, um, you, you'll very quickly realize that you know people are fundamentally the same, no matter what religion and culture and everything else. So that was something that was that was quite enlightening, I suppose, when hitchhiking. That no matter wh- where you were, people were always willing to to give you a hand, and honestly, it never changed. That's such a nice um, kind of conclusion or like thing to have drawn from your whole experience, like. It is. It's very like a very positive message to have got from from seeing so much of the world. Like you would think, the more you see, the more depressing it could get. But you obviously have like seen a completely like more positive side of things. I think so. And everyone always asks about the bad times of hitchhiking. You know, how many bad experiences did you have? Who was the creepiest person that ever picked you up? You know, tell us about that. Honestly, like from the bottom of my heart, there was little to none of those experiences of all the, the rides I've ever gotten hitchhiking. Like, That's amazing. This isn't me becoming a proponent and telling everyone to go hitchhiking. Of course not. You've got to be have your precautions. It's a different story for men versus women. Of course, it's important to look after yourself and, and be prepared for, for anything at any time. But, you know, honestly, I haven't had really any bad experiences while hitchhiking. That's brilliant. So like, even say before you went or bef- like you can obviously look back on it now and you know that but like were there times where you were kind of scared or before you went off on a big journey were you ever like worried for your safety in advance of anything kind of yeah for sure I've definitely been you know spooked out many times I've been you know put in cells and had guns had held to my face um you know things like that happen um gives gives you a bit of experience a bit of perspective on things but honestly i wouldn't say i've been too terrified many times there's a couple of people that have picked me up and i've been a little bit spooked by or i've said no i don't want to get into your car um so you do have to have that general awareness as well you got to you know keep an eye is this person under the influence of alcohol or something which is obviously never a good combination when you're trying to get a ride with someone um so you kind of keep got to keep your eye out for that um I mentioned before being being another set of eyes on the road, so having a good understanding of how how to drive a car and how the rules of the road uh, rules of the road roads work as well is important. So there's a number of different factors to keep in consideration, but always kind of have your wits about you. But and you know be prepared for the worst, but not unless you need you need to do those things. But um, with regards to fear, yeah, I obviously I'm definitely not fearless. Um, I don't mind having fear. I wouldn't. I, I would say I'd pro- I'm probably more cowardly than than brave as an individual. But you know, I'm. I suppose I've had the bravery to, to take on that that fear at the same time. 
which is kind of sound like you've been cowardly at all in in your experiences from what you've been telling me anyways maybe not maybe not but you know it always sounds bigger on paper and in words but mm. at the end of the day it's just sticking your thumb out <laughs> yeah, it really I love is. that. <laughs> yeah. um, I suppose as well, like if you're kind of, if you're used to being scared of things a lot, like obviously I get like quite anxious about a lot of things. Then when something big happens, you're like, well, sure, I was already scared of like this small thing, so I'm used to being scared of things. <laughs> yeah, um, something that might sound a little bit, I know, supernatural if you want to call it or whatever else. I don't know. Um, I was I would be a big proponent if something bad happened to me on the road, and I call anytime I'm traveling on the road, um, and that term will never leave me, and I'm sure everyone uses it, but being on the road is, is a beautiful, beautiful thing. But um, with regards to anytime something bad happens and it brings a little bit of a shock, you gotta believe in the road. And it sounds silly, but anytime anything bad happened to me or something negative happened typically something really good would happen after and i know that sounds so silly but like a great example was i came i came into a bit of an issue in budapest um it might have actually been a little bit before but essentially i had to go in for some emergency um surgery um which we which we won't get into but essentially so after all of that then i was like traveling out of hungary and i had my bag and everything but typically i'd like have my bag on my skateboard and i kind of wheel it around with me but i was like pretty drained you know it was difficult trying to hitchhike with with a bit of a wound in your side so um i kind of left my bag down somewhere and like went off to try to ask someone for a ride and someone ended up like coming and taking my rucksack to be honest, it wasn't that they were stealing from me. It was because I left it in an irresponsible location because I was drained at the time. So basically everything I had apart from my survival bag, which is always attached to my back, um, was, was gone, which was a pretty nasty thing. But, you know, those things happen. But I um, remained confident. And I was traveling with two other individuals at the time. Typically, I would always have gone traveling on my own because we would have split up into a two a group of two and a group of one i would have always been the one excuse me but in this instance um my uh, david decided to go off on his own and myself and katie um decided to travel so katie's bag had also been stolen so the two of us were left with nothing and it, you know it might have frightened her a little bit more um and basically we were hesitant about taking a ride then we were just cro- about to cross the border into romania and we ca- caught a ride, went into a city in Romania, and I was still by living by the road. I was like, I am not going to pay for accommodation. I'm going to, um, you know, I just leave in the road or whatever else. She didn't want to do that because we didn't have a tent or anything anymore. So um, she wanted to buy a, a, like a hotel room or a hostel or something like that. So I said, no, just, just chill out for a minute, relax. And I told her this exact story. I was like, when something bad on the road happens you just got to relax chill out it's not the end of the world if you have to sleep in the road whatever she was going to get the host hostel anyway which i told her totally supportive of you do your thing but i'm not going to do that and about five minutes later some guy walks past it's late at night it's like maybe 10 11 p.m we're in this random city in romania sitting on the side of the road on some like random street that's like desolate and some guy walks past and he goes, uh, points like, do you have a lighter? I was like, oh yeah, I have a lighter. So I give him a lighter 
and then he didn't speak a word of English, but I tried kind of explain to him, it's like, ah, oh, you know, we don't, don't have anything at the moment. He was just like, oh yeah, cool. So he brought us to his apartment, which he wasn't even staying in. He just handed us a set of keys to an apartment and he went off to some somewhere else and he just gave us the keys to this apartment. And so boom, we got an apartment now. And the next day he came back and it was like, his friends came, picked us up, brought us like, you know, some other people get, gave him some clothes and a bag to give to us, brought us some food and everything else, then drove us to the next part of the city where we went and got another ride. So we'd already kind of got a little bits and pieces, you know, more clothes, more food or whatever else. Someone else came and picked us up from the next location, drove us out to their family estate, which was like a beautiful location out in these um, absolutely stunning farm location in the this remote, remote area of Romania. And just like, had like a full private room in this estate set up for us and like his grandmother spent all night cooking us food for breakfast in the morning and dinner some of the nicest food i've ever had in my life then the next ride we got brought us all the way to the east coast and this guy said oh i own an airbnb apartment but there's no one staying there so i'll just set it up for you i'd like this whole charcuterie platter food drink everything literally got treated like royalty and by the time we got to the to the east coast um we were traveling to an actual apartment down in bulgaria which was only going to take us another day or so to get to anywhere where we, where we could chill out but by the time we got there we had tons of stuff you know so wow. one negative thing happening a lot of good things happen after it so big so proponent of trust that. in the road <laughs> trust in the road absolutely brilliant you mentioned there that you just had your survival bag uh tell me about that um yeah i just like you can i've met people who travel with little to nothing um some people who travel with a lot of things for me i typically just had my rucksack which i mentioned before was attached to my skateboard and just like uh kind of a long belt essentially so i could keep whatever i wanted in there and rarely had to carry it obviously unless you're hiking or something like that but always on my back i just had a little small backpack with i was probably pretty well kitted out for someone like hitchhiking essentially because i'd have my laptops my speakers you know i like music stuff like that um but essentially i would just have like my sleeping bag which was kind of like an army proofed sleeping bag like super durable material i would always have a pillow um like rolled up super tight it's like one of those um cushiony pillows that kind of it, it, it inflates once it's out um typically i've spent a lot of time on the road before this trip so you know sleeping like um, rough in places and typically if you want to get a good night's sleep it's all in the hip and the head I would have always said if you can get your hip cozy and your head cozy you'll fall asleep anywhere so uh, I would do that and then have my sleeping bag but typically I'd have things like my notebook and um, you know my laptop would have been in there as well so which was like Kindle at the same time so typically yeah anything I, I know that I can survive off this bag and I'm good I, w- I wouldn't part with it um, and then obviously passport and stuff like that in there as well but yeah that's why things like that wasn't a big deal with me if i lose my whole rucksack and everything i own because if i got my survival bag i'm good to go that's a great tip mm-hmm. definitely going to keep that in mind for, for sure going yeah. forward. for sure um yeah so i think we've kind of covered a lot there um i don't want to keep you too much longer so i have four questions four quick answers to finish with so in all your travels what's your favorite food that you've had favorite food that is a tough tough question um a lot of people talk about baja tacos you see it on all the menus everywhere but they're not really baja tacos unless you've 
had them in Baja. Mm -hmm. And I'm not necessarily a big fish eater, but they've got a wide selection of fish that go into tacos in um, Baja, California, in Mexico. And they were pretty outstanding, I must say. Um, So they're definitely up there. Um, Sometimes in like the midst of Kazakhstan, when you're way out in the middle of nowhere, and it's absolutely freezing cold, and all you want is like, you know, like your mommy's soup or something like that. They do, they have like this stew that comes, and it's just like hot, piping hot, and it's nutritious and has everything you want. And it bring a tear to your eye because you're that hungry at the time. So something like that sticks out, but what you call it, I have no idea. Yeah. You know, there's a number of those kind of meals that, um, you know, I couldn't put a name to, but yeah. Um, but the Baja tacos are good. The fish, the fish on the, the West coast of Mexico is pretty, pretty nice. Okay. And what is, this will probably be a really hard one. What's your favorite country that you've been to? A difficult, a difficult question as always. Um, but, you know, I don't know if I'd put a favorite on it, but like I, I will always appreciate, you know, my home country of Ireland in its own ways. You definitely can't rule that out. Uh, from traveling everywhere I've been, you you don't get the crack out of people like you do in Ireland. Um, so like when it's a sunny day in Ireland and the crack is out, you know, it's very much hard to beat. Um, so you always got to remember, you know, your, your, your roots in that regard. But... Um, Love that. Yeah. But like Europe is is pretty awesome. Like in in regards to Slovenia, I would definitely always recommend to to people, you know, it's a little hidden gem of the world. Um, And also Mexico. Mexico is absolutely epic. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, there'd be be three big ones. Brilliant. Um, And what is your best experience that you've had? (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Um, So yeah, it's hard hard to talk. Are we talking sober or not sober, but... (laughs) um best experience that's a very challenging one uh, there's ton- tons tons of good experiences to be honest like it hitchhiking in itself do you have experience hitchhiking never okay so maybe maybe you should well, what 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 specifically is a beautiful experience about hitchhiking is the stories you get to tell because how I try to define it to people is that you can have your nine to five in and out and I'm a nine to five person myself so I'm not judging that whatsoever you know those just the kind of life I choose as well but you don't typically get any stories out of it so you can have your Monday to Friday where life is good you get up you do your work you're happy out you can do whatever else after work the weekends you can go you can watch the sports you want to do you can have the groups of people over you can have these parties you can have beach parties you can do whatever kind of lifestyle you want to have and that's beautiful well and good but they're not necessarily crazy stories that you're gonna talk about later in life. What happens when you're hitchhiking is you get up in the morning, wherever the hell you wake up, and you stick your thumb out, and you get into the back of a pickup truck, maybe. And who the hell knows, if you don't speak a language, you don't know where this guy's going. You have no idea where, the, where you're going, but you're going east, like north, south, east, or west, whatever it is, and around this corner, there could be a checkpoint, you might have to get out, he might take a left turn, he might take a right turn. You literally have no idea what's coming. So typically you could be in the back of a pickup truck and you know, someone's gonna stop for a coconut and you see a beautiful beach or you see um, you know, a, a party happening or something else and then you get out and then you meet some other people and whatever else. So it's the twists and turns of hitchhiking and then you know, the stories that an entire day can bring is 
absolutely beautiful that that those are the experiences so just hitchhiking in general and that's the type of experience i was trying to refer to at the beginning of of this podcast was you know this is the type of traveling you can do you can travel when you have money when you've got you know money to stay in hostels or to get buses or anywhere or stay in hotels or whatever else this is the type of traveling that i've chosen to do when i didn't necessarily have money initially and you know to travel the world without money and to take these kinds of experiences and to see where it brings you so it's not a specific experience but it's a it's the experience of hitchhiking that i think we're talking about today brilliant um and then last question what was your favorite accommodation you've ever stayed in Uh, favorite accommodation um i've been spoiled um and i have struggled (laughs) both ends of the scale um probably some that stick out is you know the generosity of people in general i've been given accommodation to so many amazing places but i suppose there was um a little town in agre which is uh, eastern turkey um which was like a pretty pretty i don't want to say it's like a impoverished place because someone i used to live live with actually is from there but typically i would say it's you know not exactly a wealthy place um heavy muslim like drinking is absolutely no go um which obviously doesn't suit two irish guys when they're on the road for a while and they're kind of thirsty at that point but essentially we ended up in this place late at night and we were trying to figure out what was going on we just went into a hotel and um to to use the wi-fi to text my friend to see if he knew anyone in this town and this was quite a desolate location and probably not the safest of places in the world but um eventually some manager came down to the hotel lobby just kind of like what are you guys doing here and we're like oh we're just trying to you know mr friend or whatever and then he just started being super nice was again very broken english didn't really understand what was going on but he told he phoned someone and then like i think the owner of the hotel came down and was just like oh we want you to be our esteemed guests in this in this like five-star hotel and we're like sweet <laughs> so like they bring us up to this um you know beautiful um like suite on, on like the top floor and stuff like that and just, like treat us like absolute royalty like full buffet food like hot tubs jacuzzis uh, like you know all that type of jazz so that's probably one example but things like that actually happen quite a bit when you're on the road but that's that's one that de- thing that definitely comes to mind is pretty that's nice experience amazing. and this is like when you probably haven't had a shower in quite a few days and <laughs> you're really looking forward to it so it's the experience the the beautiful accommodation experiences when you need it the most brilliant well that's excellent thank you so much for sharing all your stories it's been so interesting and informative so yeah thanks a lot well thank you very much maria it's an honor i really appreciate it and i wish you the very best of luck with your own travels and always let me know if there's any questions or anything i can help with ever thank you for listening to recipe to the road podcast if you want to contact the show or you have any comments or questions, you can get me on Instagram at recipe to the road or by email recipe to the road at gmail.com. If you'd like to follow my journey and see what I'm doing at the moment, you can also see that on my Instagram at recipe to the road. Thank you for listening. Bye.